This is a HeadGum Podcast. Thinks is a period-proof underwear designed to hold up to two tampons worth of the Crimson Wave. Remember that throwback from Clueless? <laughs> Thinks has got four layers of tech that makes them antimicrobial, moisture-wicking, absorbent, and leak-resistant. And Thinks is designed to keep you dry all day long and are super thin, so it's very, very comfortable to wear. Curious? We know you are. So how about this? We're going to give you $5 off of your order with the code BLACKGIRLNERDS at the checkout. Use the code BLACKGIRLNERDS. You get $5 off of Thinks Panties. That is Thinks with an X. Pick up Pieces in Space, the brand new album from rapper, producer, PhD student, and black girl nerd Samus today. Tracks from her project have appeared on NPR, Vibe, The Mary Sue, among other publications. So get your choice of vinyl, CD, or digital copies of the album at samusmusic.com. That is S-A-M-M-U-S music.com. Hi, this is Liz Femi. I'm an actress co-starring on Send Me, an original web series, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Sujata Day. I'm playing Sarah on Insecure, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, I'm Effie Brown, and I'm a producer of Dear White People, Real Women Have Curves, and recently you probably saw me on HBO's Project Greenlight. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. I'm Johnny J, creator of A Tribe Called Geek, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Francesca Ramsey, but everyone online knows me as Cheska Lee, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, and it's dope. I am Micheline Hess. I'm the artist and writer of Malice and Omenland and the Island Cats of Congaree, as well as the Anansi Kids Club and the All Saints Day Adventure. And you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. tuning into episode 95 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Nerdy History, Superheroines, and Women of Color in Comics. Three segments, 
In our first segment, we invite Alelia Bundles. She is the great-great-granddaughter of the legendary Madam C.J. Walker. She talks to us about Madam C.J. Walker's history, as well as her 30-year career working as a TV executive in NBC News and ABC News. That segment is co-hosted by Marquita and Joy. In our second segment, we invite English-born actress Kyla Fry, the star of The Few, where she plays a superheroine. She's also appeared in films such as Edge of Tomorrow, starring Tom Cruise. That segment is a one-on-one hosted by KB. In our third segment, we head over to New York Comic Con and listen in on a panel led by Regine L. Sawyer, the founder of Women in Comics Collective. On that panel that she moderates features Barbara Brandon Croft, Carol Burrell, Shay Grayson, Jules Rivera, and Camille Zhang. So that's the show for you. Thanks so much for tuning in. And please feel free to spread the word about the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Give us a rating on iTunes, subscribe to us, follow us on all different streams. We're all over the place now. Not only can you find us there, but you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spreaker, Google Play Music, and Spotify. So this is BGN 95, nerdy history, superheroines, and women of color in comics coming at you. Author and journalist Alelia Bundles chairs the board of the National Archives Foundation and is the vice chairman of Columbia University's Board of Trustees. She is the founder of Madam Walker Family Archives and is also the historical advisor for Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culture, a line of hair care products inspired by her great-great-grandmother and manufactured by Sundial Brands. Ms. Bundles is at work on her fourth book, The Joy Goddess of Harlem, Alelia Walker and the Harlem Renaissance, a biography of her great-great-grandmother, whose parties and arts patronage helped define that era. On her own ground, The Life and Times of Madam C.J. Walker was named a New York Times notable book. Ms. Bundles was a network television news executive producer for 30 years at NBC News and then at ABC News, where she was Washington, D.C.'s deputy bureau chief. Thank you so much for tuning into this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Very excited for this segment today, uh, especially for you fans out there that are history nerds, that are really into a lot of the work that has been done in television over the years. And if you are a fan and admirer of the legendary Madam C.J. Walker, then you're definitely going to love this interview. I have here Alelia Bundles. She chairs the board of the National Archives Foundation and is the vice chairman of Columbia University's Board of Trustees and the great granddaughter to the legendary Madam C.J. Walker. Thank you, Ms. Bundles, so much for coming on our show. I was just really delighted to be with you. And we have our lovely, lovely co-hosts, Marquita and Joy. Thank you for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having us. (laughs) 
Excellent. So yes, I, I, I'm, I'm really honored and it's such a pleasure to have you come and chat with us. And I really want to know a little bit about you. I know you came up as a journalist with a 30 year history as a TV executive for NBC News and later ABC News. What led you right. to journalism and, and what was the climate like in network TV at that time? Well, you know, I when I was eight years old, I wrote a little short story, and I really was bitten by the writing bug. I realized that I could create uh, an atmosphere, and one of my mother's friends liked the story so much that she sent it into a magazine and got it published. So when I was eight, I had a little byline, and that really started me on my passion for writing. And then I just continued to write. I worked for the junior high school newspaper and then the high school newspaper. And then when I was in college, I wanted to have a little bit more fun. So I was a DJ, a jazz DJ. But I really had that bug about to be a journalist and to pursue my writing in some way. So that's what led to the career in in journalism. And, and, and now what it was like, what it was yeah. like, what the atmosphere was like in the early 70s. <laughs> so, you know, this was, you know, I'm I'm really on that cusp of women who are part of the affirmative action um, era and who are women who are, uh, for whom corporations opened up. And so I was right on that moment when women sued Newsweek and sued the television networks because when women came into those uh, corporations, they remained researchers and the guys became producers. And so uh, or the women remained researchers uh, and the guys became reporters in, at the magazines and at the newspapers. So I really benefited from some of the pioneers who were just ahead of me in that generation. And I benefited from it after I graduated from Columbia's Journalism School. I had a fellowship from NBC, and I went to work at at NBC and worked my way up um, to a producer and then deputy bureau chief at ABC and director of talent development. But it was, you know, very much, uh, there were very few women, uh, and there, the atmosphere was a locker room atmosphere, as we've been hearing about. <laughs> Um, but there, but I also was really fortunate to have some great mentors, early, especially early in my career, most of whom were were men who were you know just really enlightened, and then later some you know women who were who were very key and very supportive. That's amazing. Your as I mentioned in your your bio, your great grandmother, Madam C. J. Walker, is prolific in so many ways and most notably known as the first black female millionaire. For the few of us who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about her legacy as well as the current work that you're doing to preserve your family's history? Sure. So, as you say, many people know about Madam Walker, but many, many don't. And she really was a pioneer of the modern hair care industry. So what many people know is that she had something to do with hair. She did not invent the straightening comb or the perm, uh, <laughs> but she developed a line of hair care products that uh, for at a time when most Americans didn't have indoor plumbing, they didn't wash their hair very often, so they had really horrible scalp infections and scalp disease. So she developed a shampoo and an ointment that contained sulfur that healed the scalp and allowed the hair to grow back. So it was really uh, something that was very needed, something that was pretty basic but hadn't really been around for a while. 
And the thing that I love about it is that she started a business and allowed, taught other women how to do the Madam Walker system so they could make their own money independently and educate their children and buy real estate. So she developed an army of sales agents. And in 1917, at her first convention of her sales agents, two years before Mary Kay was born, she gave prizes to the women who sold the most products, but also to the women who had contributed the most to charity and who were involved in political activities. So it wasn't just about hair. It was about political activism, being a philanthropist, supporting black schools, supporting um, the anti-lynching movement. So she was Black Lives Matter in 1916. Wow. And, and you're currently doing some work right now to help preserve her history as well as your family's legacy. Can you tell us a little bit what you're doing now? Sure. So I so in graduate school at Columbia, uh, I began to really write about Madam Walker. I wrote a paper, and then that has led to three books about her and uh, a postage stamp and collecting her photographs and letters, and you know, really being kind of the keeper of the of the flame. So I participate in several different things. The Madam Walker Theater Center in Indianapolis is a National Historic Landmark. I'm a board member emeritus of that. I maintain the Madam Walker Family Archives and recently contributed a number of items, about 12 to 15 items, to the new National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I also am the um, historical advisor for the new line of Madam C.J. Walker Beauty Culture products that are manufactured by Sundial Brands and available at Sephora. So I've got a lot of little balls in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. Uh, very, very awesome. Madame J. Uh, C.J. Walker's uh, legacy is immense and profound in its reach, and I was hoping you would share with us what you think her, how her legacy impacts us today. You know, the, the thing that I am so pleased about is that she still can inspire people. And she's so multidimensional. It's, we, as an entrepreneur, women can really look to her and see how many obstacles she overcame. And you know, she was an orphan at seven and married at 14, a widow at 20 with a child, no real formal education. And yet she had so much perseverance and resilience that she educated herself with the help of others and then created a business so people can see somebody overcoming obstacles but but you know whether i'm talking to students who are at harvard business school or whether i'm talking to women who are at bedford hills correctional facility they can find something about her life that is relevant to them so it's just a, a privilege and a real opportunity to be able to tell her story to people and help them find their own space in in her story. But, you know, also American history. I mean, I think it's so important for us, especially as black women, to see how we fit into this American narrative because we have been intentionally written out of it often and, and or our story has been neglected. But when you know what Madam Walker's life was like and what all of our grandmothers and great-great-grandmothers uh, went through and the way that they paved for us, we can see how we fit into 
the making of this nation. Wow, that is amazing. So I I want to get into uh like get into your nerd cred. Uh, you are <laughs> the current chair and president of the board of directors of the National Archive Foundation, and you right. maintain Madame Walker Family Archives. Would you say you're a history nerd? Yes, I'm a proud <laughs> history nerd. <Yay. laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, just, I, I was just doing some reflection on my childhood. One of my, um, some friend's mother, uh, mother died the, earlier this week, and she was 85. She had a really fabulous life. But I was thinking about the village that raised me and all of these people who, you know, knew I was a little bookworm with my glasses early on and, you know, carrying my, in the summertime, I was one of those kids who, colored in that wheel after you'd read all those books, you know, very quickly. <laughs> I spent time in the library, but I, I didn't really like history that much when I was a kid because I didn't see myself in the history books. But I'm really fortunate that I was coming of age during the black power movement and black consciousness of the late 60s and early 70s, and I began to do research and find how we fit into the story. I'm also really fortunate that my grandfather had an amazing sense of history. So when he would talk about Reconstruction, he would talk about his grandfather who had been elected to the state legislature in Arkansas during Reconstruction and the, all of the political uh, opportunities for African Americans during that period of time. Of course, that was very different from the textbooks that I read in my overwhelmingly white high school, where Reconstruction was more like the um, the original birth of a nation, which had black people eating chicken bones and taking their shoes off in the South Carolina state legislature, which wasn't true, but that was a stereotype, and so. I'm really lucky that I had that example of what uh, the seeds planted for me of what our history was about. And then as I began to really research Madam Walker's life, I discovered that, no, it wasn't just about hair. It was about how she was positioned in her peer group with people like Booker T. Washington and Ida B. Wells Barnett, Mary McLeod Bethune, W.E.B. Du Bois, and to see what that generation did to to make a difference so that we would uh, have advanced. And, and then also to see what we need to be doing, especially in this season, this political season that is so very challenging for us. Now, you know, I will just, I will just add to that about my nerdness that I am a person who loves being in a historical society and going through papers that are 100 or 150 years old and smelling that mild and uh, you know mildew and mold on the papers or I can be online at 3 in the morning with all these wonderful historical databases all these newspaper databases and original documents and I and I'm in heaven when I'm doing something like that does that tie into your, your journal? You're kind of a journal nerd as well, journalism nerd? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, definitely a news junkie. I mean, that's from all the, you know, so that, the, all the, the current events that I, 
you know, I'm interested, I'm as interested in current events as I am in history. And I, you know, I view, for instance, I'm viewing this election very much through a historical lens. And I'm also thinking, you know, what people will be thinking about what we're going through now a hundred years from now, because I'm always looking a hundred years back or 200 years back. And I'm thinking, you know, I hope that our, you know, great, 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 great grandchildren will look back favorably on us and know that we try to do the right thing. So going into you being a history and a, a journalism nerd, a lot of that must come from from your ties with Columbia University. You, you know, you not only graduated from the School of Journalism, but you've also been a trustee. And so what right. inspires you to actively give back to to Columbia? Well, you know, both Columbia and Harvard, where I went to undergraduate school, I, I feel a real connection to those communities and to, you know, making sure that I'm looking out for the next generation just as other people did for me. So I really became involved with alumni activities first at Harvard and at Radcliffe. I was president of the Radcliffe Alumni Association and secretary of my class, and that involvement I would go. I have never missed a reunion. <laughs> I, you know, every five years I go back because I like being connected to those, to the educational communities, to being current, to seeing what's going on with students now. It was very interesting to me uh, yesterday to read that Harvard had suspended um, one of the male uh, athletic teams because they had been creating lists about women and their physical assets, so to speak. So I like knowing what's going on in educational communities. Because of my involvement with Harvard and Radcliffe and alumni activities, as Columbia was really with a new president when Lee Bollinger came in trying to um, sort of beef up its relationships with alumni communities, they kind of recruited me to to be involved with uh, to be involved as a trustee. So that's been really interesting. I'm now in my eighth or ninth year as a trustee and it's been great to see how this how these schools are different from each other how their structures their governance structures are different but also to be able to connect to a community of students both at the journalism school and to be involved there and then to see how a, a university is developing and reinventing itself you know columbia there's two new buildings just opened on the Manhattanville campus at 125th Street, so about nine blocks north of the main campus, and looking at this, what the school is becoming as it you know, sees itself in the 22nd century, not just the 21st century. So I like that connection with education, with um, intellectual rigor, uh, and with just knowing how young people are you know, going to be leading us. No, absolutely. And speaking of young people uh, leading, uh, beyond being a hair product guru, Madam C.J. Walker was also a businesswoman and entrepreneur, obviously. Um, nowadays, especially in 2016, with the highest growing group of entrepreneurs being women of color, specifically black women in some studies, uh, do you see Walker's influence in today's generation on businesswomen? Uh, definitely. I mean, that, and that's part of what is so meaningful to me that she can still inspire people. There, there's an organization called Walker's Legacy that was founded by a really wonderful young woman named Natalie Cofield. 
And that she puts together events with young women who are entrepreneurs, young women who are in tech. She just had hosted something at the Google office in D.C. during Black Caucus Weekend. And there are 20 chapters around the country, also now some college campus chapters and a couple of international chapters. But they really look at Madam Walker as inspiration. They're taking it to the next level. They're doing their 21st century thing, but I'm delighted to be a part of that effort. No, absolutely. And we were so happy to, to talk to you about that as someone who I went to an Ivy myself, so I went to Penn. So hearing what you're talking about regarding Harvard and Columbia and the new wave of students, the new wave of entrepreneurs, I definitely relate to that. Yeah, and, you know, it, 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 no matter where you go to school, there's always an organization that you can become involved with. There's an alumni. You can be involved with alumni. And I think I always tell young people, you know, you, you pick a college, and whatever college, it's, it doesn't matter, or where, whatever you education you pursue, and you'll be there for four years, hopefully, if you graduate on time, five if you need a little longer. But it's really the community of alumni that uh, is like your lifelong connection and people should reach out to those folks and there's always somebody who's happy to see uh, a younger person following their footsteps or to give advice or to to give some encouragement so i think i really encourage people regardless of where you're going to school to really seek out that alumni community i have just one last question to ask you um with respect to the election that's coming up this tuesday what advice what what kernels of truth can you provide our listeners that are kind of apathetic to going out there on Tuesday and not really feeling favorability towards either candidate? Um, what what kind of advice would you give to them that, you know, why they should go out there and, and hit the polls on Tuesday? Well, you know, I'm really, I really wish that there were more civics classes going on because to, we, we need to see I, I think it, it's helpful to see this in a holistic, larger, bigger picture. It's not just about the vote, though. People need to vote. I hope they will vote. Vote for president. Vote for judges. Vote for school board. Vote for prosecutors. Vote for every single thing on the ballot. Educate yourself about the ballot because it's not just what's at the top of the ticket. The change really happens all the way down the ticket, and we need to understand that part of the reason that uh, President Obama was not able to get more of his initiatives through is that a lot of us stayed home in 2010, and that allowed the Republicans to take over the state legislatures in many in many states. It allowed the Tea Party to get a wedge in and to create the confusion that they have created, which then allowed. Um, Trump to rise. And so it's not just about you feeling, you know, someone feeling like I'm just not that inspired or I'm just not that into this particular person. It's about the overall system and how we make a difference. Stuff does not happen overnight. One person can't do something um, as the president of the United States, but each of us collectively have to make our voices heard. And I just, you know, say, I know some people say, oh, you know, we don't want to hear that people died, you know, we, you know, for us to vote, and that's, you know, old people 
talk about that kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the truth is that we all have to keep, we all have to carry our weight. And it's for the future generations. It's not just about how we're feeling today. It's what we're trying to do for our children and our grandchildren. I would probably just add it's true that people died for us to vote. I, I think uh, history is extremely important. I am also a history nerd. So I definitely think we need to know our history and also maintain it and, and live up to be the wildest dreams and hopes of those that came before us. Right. You know, I, every, every, is in fact, I, I need to do this now. Every time it's time to vote, I put that picture of, of those children in Birmingham being hosed down and that this is why I vote and this is why I vote. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you, Ms. Thank Rundle, you. so much for taking the time uh, to chat well, with us. And, and please let us know uh, more about your work and where we can find you on social media. All right. Well, I'm glad that the, the hashtag Flotus Flock helped us find each other. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you guys are you are great i'm so glad to be introduced to you can you let us know where we can mm-hmm. find more about uh the current work that you're doing and where we can find you on social media absolutely so i am uh at alelia bundles a-l-e-l-i-a-b-u-n-d-l-e-s on twitter I'm on Facebook, Alelia Bundles, and it's A apostrophe capital L E L I A Bundles. And my website is aleliabundles.com. And the other two websites, because we all have to have many hats, is madamcjwalker.com, madam with no E. And the hair care products are at mcjwbeautyculture.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. This was a really great discussion. We really appreciate you coming on and joining us. Very much so. My pleasure. Just delighted to meet you guys. (laughs) Hailing from East End of London, Kyla Fry is a multifaceted actress who has had nationwide and international campaigns for brands such as Sleek Cosmetics and 3 Mobile and has also appeared on London Fashion Week. Never settling for less, Kyla is a remarkable talent whose intent on shaping the future of film and television across the globe remains steadfast through the launch of her production company, Friday Entertainment LTD, and filmmaking debut of The Key, seen by over 22,000 people on the Community Channel and Vox Africa. In spring of 2014, Kyla appeared in the Hollywood blockbuster Edge of Tomorrow, starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. She's currently starring in the series The Few as a superheroine with BGM podcast alum Sam Benjamin. Hi, welcome to this very special episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Today, I have actress Kyla Fry all the way from London in the UK. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, thanks, thanks. We are so excited. So let's just dive right in. So you have been an actress for a while, and I wanted to know, you know, how important do you think it is to see women of color in lead roles, and and not just in a romantic context, but in television and film? Well, I think it's important for stop to see ourselves reflected in our media, in our entertainment, namely because we imitate life and art imitates life as well. And 
when we think about what I what I call the um the twenty four effect, we had a a black president long before Obama was president, and so, so sooner or later we have we have um our life imitating our art, and so I think it's 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 important for us to see all forms, all diverse um, characters, personalities, careers, interests, and so on, um, reflected so that we can all feel that we are a part of the society that we live in. Oh, that's so true. Because I think a lot of times, you know, and in TV and film, people tend to have the same types of profession. Like, I uh-huh. love, uh, obviously, um, 